0: Chapter 10 Haroon's Wish As Harun and If stood there at the top of the stairs, the absolute darkness created by thousands of dark bulbs suddenly disappeared to be replaced by the dim twilight. Katam Shud had ordered the big switch off so that he could taunt his captives by showing them the extent of his power. Harun and If could see their way now and began to walk down into the belly of that immense ship. All around them, chapwallas were putting on really rather fashionable wraparound dark glasses to help them see better in the increased level of light. Now they look like office clerks pretending to be rock stars, thought Harun. He could now see that below decks, the dark ship, was a single voluminous cavern around which walkways ran at seven different levels connected by stairways and ladders, and it was full of machinery. And what machines they were! Far too complicated to describe, if murmured. What a whirring of whirrs and stirring of stirs! What ranks of lifters and banks of sifters! What a humming of squeezers and thrumming of freezers was there! Shud waited for them on a high catwalk, tossing but the hoopoe's brain idly from hand to hand. No sooner had Harun and If, and their guards, of course, reached him, than he began dryly to explain everything. Harun forced himself to listen, even though the cult master's voice was boring enough to send a person to sleep in ten seconds flat. These are the poison blenders, Katamshud was saying. We must make a great many poisons, because each and every story in the ocean needs to be ruined in a different way. To ruin a happy story, you must make it sad. To ruin an action drama, you must make it move too slowly. To ruin a mystery, you must make the criminal's identity obvious to even the most stupid audience. To ruin a love story, you must turn it into a tale of hate. To ruin a tragedy, you must make it capable of inducing helpless laughter. To ruin an ocean of stories, muttered If the Water Genie, you must add a katam shud.
1: Oh, Mr. Doyle, if I were teaching this class, I would put that quote on a test and ask my students to explain it.
0: What about that quote is so important? What got me about yeah, it? Yeah, what, what well, I love
1: the whole paragraph before when they're talking about how to ruin all these different stories and that stories need to be ruined in a different way. Um, and then to hear that... You know, to ruin the entire ocean, you have to put an end to things, and we know that Katam should means the end. He's the sort of the finisher. Um, he is not a strong believer in the power of story, and and while each specific story sort of takes um, the opposite to ruin it, Katam should can come around because with an attitude like his, yeah. you can just destroy all the stories in their entirety. Yeah. No matter what they're about.
0: I also like about that previous paragraph that you brought up. The fact that every single one of these stories has its own opposite, its shadow story, goes back to almost every chapter we have the conversation about how, um, how for light there has to be dark, for noise there has to be silence, and all of these things need to just balance each other out and right. coexist peacefully.
1: Happy, sad, action, slow movement, mystery, mm. obvious,
0: Yeah. But I did have a question that that came from this, and it was, what would you use to get rid of a cowboy story? (laughs) Um, Buzz Lightyear. Oh, that's good. That's good. So sci-fi. Sci-fi. There's
1: a snake in my boot.
0: (laughs) Oh, God. Okay. All right. Moving on. Say what you like, the cult master told him. Say it while you can. He went on with his terrifying explanations. Now, the fact is that I personally have discovered that for every story there is an anti-story. I mean that every story, and so every stream of story, has a shadow self. And if you pour this anti-story into the story, the two cancel each other out, and bingo. End of story. Now then... You see here the proof that I have found a way of synthesizing these anti-stories, these shadow tales. Yes, I can mix them up right here in laboratory conditions and produce a most efficient concentrated poison that none of the stories in your precious ocean can resist. These concentrated poisons are what we've been releasing one by one into the ocean. You've seen how thick the poison is here, thick as treacle. That's because all the shadow tales are packed together so closely... Gradually, they will flow out along the currents of the ocean, each anti-story seeking out its victim. Each day, we synthesize and release new poisons. Each day, we murder new tales. Soon now, soon, the ocean will be dead, cold and dead. When black ice freezes over its surface, my victory will be complete. But why do you hate stories so much, Arun blurted, feeling stunned. Stories are fun, the world, however, is not for fun, Shud replied. The world is for controlling. Which world? Harun made himself ask. Your world, my world, all worlds, came the reply. They're all there to be ruled, and inside every single story, inside every stream in the ocean, there lies a world, a story world, that I cannot rule at all. And that's the reason why.
1: Aha, and there we have it. That's what fuels this guy's fire.
0: Control? Mm-hmm. Power?
1: Power and control. gets a lot of people into a lot of trouble.
0: Yeah, why do you think this guy in particular wants control? This is the guy that, that stands for the end of everything, right?
1: Yeah, it's like if he can't be a part of things, he just doesn't want them to happen at all.
0: Yeah, yeah. It makes me think about history, a lot because stories stories are passed down from generation to generation right mm-hmm. and they are used to tell our histories and we're supposed to learn from stories and this is a guy who wants control over over the stories that are told about him but also over i don't know I'm going I'm off on a tangent well, but sharing
1: I, those stories and passing them down is is part of what is wisdom, right? Yeah. And so if people are passing down these stories to people, you're learning from their experiences and growing and developing based on what the people before you have done. Right. That drives Khatam Shud crazy.
0: Right, right. And to me, I saw that, like, there are so many um, parallels there, obviously, between Khatam Shud and just, like, dictators in general who try to control the narrative um, within their own uh, countries and, ter- like, try to turn the people against the press
1: Exactly. And so some of those people managed to get away with it, and for some of them, uh, they, they get in a lot of trouble. Let's read on and see what happens to Katamshad.
0: Perfect. Now the cult master pointed out the refrigeration machines that kept the poisons, the anti-stories, at the necessary low temperatures. And he pointed out the filtration machines that removed all dirt and impurities from the poisons so that they were 100% pure, 100% deadly. And he explained why, as part of the manufacturing process, the poisons had to spend some time in the cauldrons up on deck. Like all good wine, the anti-stories improve if they're permitted to breathe for a while in the open air before being released. After eleven minutes of this, Harun stopped listening. He followed Katam Shud and If along the high catwalk until they reached another part of the ship in which Chipwalas were putting together large, mysterious segments of what looked like hard, black rubber. Now this, said the cult master, and something in his voice made Harun pay attention, is where we are building the plug. What plug? cried If, as an appalling idea took shape in his thoughts. You can't mean. You will have seen the giant crane up on deck, said Katam Shudd in his most monotonous voice. You will have noted the chains going down into the waters. At the other end of those chains, Chupwala divers are rapidly assembling the largest and most efficient plug ever constructed. It's almost complete, little spies. Almost complete. And so, in a few days, we shall be able to put it to good use. We're going to plug the wellspring itself, the source of stories, which lies directly beneath this ship on the ocean bed. As long as that source remains unplugged, Fresh, unpoisoned, renewing story waters will pour upwards into the ocean, and our work will only be half done. But when it's plugged, ah! Then the ocean will lose all its power to resist my anti-stories. And the end will come very soon. And then, water genie, what will there be for you guppies to do but to accept the victory of Bezabon? Never, said If. But he didn't sound very convincing. How do the divers enter the poison waters without being hurt? Haroon asked. Katamshud smiled, a dry little smile. Paying attention again, I see, he said. The obvious answer is that they wear protective clothing. Here in this cupboard are numbers of poison-proof suits. He led them on, past the plug assembly zone, to an area occupied by the largest machine in the entire ship. And this, said Katamshud, almost permitting a note of pride to enter his dull, flat voice, is our generator. What does that do? asked Harun, who had never been of a particularly scientific turn of mind. It is a device for converting mechanical energy into electrical energy by means of electromagnetic induction, replied Katamshud. If you must know. Harun was unabashed. Do you mean it's where your power supply comes from? he persevered. Precisely, the cult master replied. I see that education is not quite at a standstill on Earth. At this point, something wholly unexpected occurred. Through an open portal a few paces from the cultmaster, bizarre rudy tendrils began to enter the dark ship. They came in at high speed, a great unformed mass of vegetation, among which was a single lilac-colored flower. Harun's heart gave a great leap of joy. He began, but then he held his tongue. Mali had escaped capture as Harun later learned, by reassuming the appearance of a bunch of lifeless roots. He had floated slowly toward the dark ship, then used the suction pads on several of the tendrils which made up his body to climb up the outside of the vessel like a creeper. Now as he completed his dramatic entry and whirled himself in a trice into his more familiar Molly shape, the alarm was sounded, intruder, intruder alert. Switch on the darkness, screeched Katamshud, his usual insipid manner falling away from him like a mask. Mali began to move at high speed in the direction of the generator. Before the dark bulbs had been switched on, he had reached the gigantic machine having eluded numbers of Chipwala guards whose eyesight wasn't what it should have been owing to the dim twilight and in spite of their really rather fashionable wraparound dark glasses. Without pausing for an instant, the floating gardener leaped into the air, disassembling his body as he did so, and flung roots and tendrils all over the generator, getting into every nook and cranny of the machine. There now began a series of loud bangs and crashes as circuits blew and cogwheels broke, and the mighty generator came to a juddering halt. The ship's entire power supply was cut off at once. Stirs stopped stirring and whirrs stopped whirring. Blenders stopped blending and menders stopped mending. Squeezers stopped squeezing and freezers stopped freezing. Poison stores stopped storing and poison pourers stopped their pouring. The entire operation was at a standstill. "'Hooray, Molly!' Haroon cheered. "'Nice work, mister. Too good!' Chapuala guards now attacked Mali in large numbers, pulling at him with their bare hands, hacking at him with axes and swords, but a creature tough enough to withstand the concentrated poisons which Katam should, had been pouring into the ocean of stories, wasn't bothered by such flea bites. He hung on to the generator until he was sure it was ruined beyond hope of quick repair, and as he clung to that machine, he began in his rough gardener's way to sing through that lilac flower that served him for a mouth. You can chop a flower bush, you can chop a tree, you can chop liver, but you can't chop me. You can chop and change, you can chop and karate, you can chop suey, but you can't chop me. I want to stop here because this little song here reminds me a lot about like the musical interludes in... Wizard of Oz, where the characters will just start singing about how they all have they only had a brain, some courage, a heart. heart. Yeah. Back. Does this remind you of that? Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally. Okay. Yeah, no, me too.
1: And I, and I think that adds to sort of the childlike, fantastical nature of this story, really. Rushdie's like, huh. Maybe I'll try a little musical yeah, element.
0: I'm going to toss dozens of music. <laughs> Here at the end, towards I'm, the end. I'm sure the students got that too. I bet. Yep. Okay. Okay, Harun told himself, seeing that Katam Shud's attention was wholly focused on the floating gardener. Come on, Harun. It's your turn. It's now or never. The little emergency something, the bite of light, was still hidden under his tongue. Quickly, he put it between his teeth and bit. The light that poured out from his mouth was as bright as the sun. The Chippualas all around him were blinded and broke their vows of silence to shriek and utter curses as they clutched at their eyes. Even Katamshud reeled back from the glare. So there you go, the Baitalite. Believe it or not, Harun actually used it. Um, I remember when that was introduced last chapter and we stopped to talk about how, uh, how whenever, whenever you read a story and a magical item is introduced like that you can guarantee it's going to pop up at a very important moment in the story where it can it can shift the um, the momentum um, so so there there it is were you surprised to see him use the bite of light
1: I was excited to see him use the bite of light I kind of want a bite of light and so I'm excited to see how this plays out
0: Yeah I don't know Did you have a light bright when you were a kid Yes Yeah
1: Yeah I think mm- I I loved him. you'd punch them through those little black papers. Yeah. You had to line them up perfectly to get them in there.
0: Did you ever bite those lights?
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> I feel like I did too. Feel Actually, like I, I remember did too.
1: stepping on them in the shag carpet in my oh, house. Oh, jeez.
0: Yeah. They'd get all over the place. They would. They were a yeah. mess. Yeah. Uh, oh, along the same lines, Molly popped back. Molly. Um, when he disappeared a couple a couple chapters ago, I wondered if we were going to see him again. And then I realized that they didn't show where he went. They didn't show him, um, you know, getting swallowed up by the poisonous waters or anything like that. And it just reminded me that whenever I'm watching a movie and a character. Right? Like, when a character um, disappears and you wonder if they're okay, like, chances are they're going to pop up at another one of these important moments. Like,
1: I remember watching the Game of Thrones. If you don't see them dead there, they're not dead. Here we go. Okay.
0: Keep going. Yep. Harun moved as fast as he'd ever moved in his life. He took the bite light out of his mouth and held it over his head. Now the light poured in every direction, illuminating the entire vast interior of that massive ship. Those eggheads back at P2C2 E-House certainly know a thing or two, Haroon thought in wonderment. But he was running now, because the seconds were ticking away. As he passed Cultmaster Shud, he stuck out his free hand and grabbed Bud the Hoopo's brain box from the Cultmaster's hand. He ran on until he reached the cupboard containing the protective clothing for the Chippewala divers. A minute had already passed. Haroon shoved Hoopo's brain into a pocket of his nightshirt and began to wrestle his way into the diving suit. He had placed the light on a convenient railing so that he could use both hands. But how does this thing go on, he groaned in frustration as the diving suit refused to slip on smoothly. Trying to pull it over a long red nightshirt with purple patches didn't exactly help. The seconds ticked away. Although he was frantically busy with the diving suit, Harun did notice a number of things. He noticed, for example, that Katamshud had personally grabbed If the Water Genie by his blue whiskers. He also noticed that none of the Chippualas had shadows. That could mean only one thing. Katam Shud had shown his most trusted devotees, the union of the Zipped Lips, how to detach themselves from their shadows, just like himself. So they are all shadows here, he understood. The boat, the Zipped Lips gang, and Katam Shud himself. Everything and everyone here is a shadow-made solid except for If, Mali, but the Hoopoe and me. The third thing he noticed was this. As the brilliant light of the Baitalite filled the interior of the dark ship, the whole vessel seemed to quiver for a moment to become a little less solid, a little more shadowy, and the Chapwallas, too, trembled, and their edges softened, and they began to lose their three-dimensional form. If only the sun would come out, Harun realized, they'd all melt away. They'd become flat and shapeless like the shadows they really are. But there was no sunlight to be found anywhere in that dim twilight. And the seconds were running out, and just as the two minutes of light came to an end, Harun zipped up the diving suit, pulled on the goggles, and dived headfirst out of a porthole towards the poison ocean. As he hit the water, a terrible feeling of hopelessness overcame him. What are you going to do, Haroon? He asked himself. Swim all the way back to Gup City? He fell through the waters of the ocean for a long, long time, and the deeper he went, the less filthy the story streams were, and the easier it was to see. He saw the plug. Teams of Chupwala divers were at work, bolting pieces onto it. Fortunately, they were too busy to notice Haroon. The plug was about the size of a football stadium, and very roughly oval. Its edges were raggedy and uneven, however, because it was being constructed to fit precisely into the wellspring, or source, of stories, and the two shapes, plug and wellspring, had to be a perfect match. Harun continued to fall, and, then, wonder of wonders, he caught sight of the source itself. The source of stories was a hole, a chasm, or crater in the seabed, and through that hole, as Harun watched, the glowing flow of pure, unpolluted stories came bubbling up from the very heart of Kahani. There were so many streams of story of so many different colors all pouring out of the source at once that it looked like a huge underwater fountain of shining white light. In that moment, Harun understood that if he could prevent the source from being plugged, everything would eventually be all right again. The renewed streams of story would cleanse the polluted waters and Katam Shud's plan would fail.
1: Okay, I just love the imagery in general in this last paragraph, really, about all of those... Um, unpolluted, pure stories coming bubbling up. It's such an image, beautiful image of hope, and that idea that that if he can um, stop it, like like the love, the light, the stories of of humans are going to eventually cleanse the polluted wa- waters because it's a force like um, too too big to stop.
0: Right, like Katam Shud is trying to contain the stories and control them, but. Eventually, good is going to prevail, right? There's there's too many good, positive, amazing, beautiful stories that, that are have been told throughout history, that like it's impossible to um, to stop them all.
1: Right, and now we also know what Harun is trying to do. You know, he's on a mission to um, not allow these stories to be plugged.
0: Right. I don't know. There've been there've been a number of times throughout the book that we've stopped to talk about him finding um finding his his sense of responsibility right and finding his his guts his nerve and his maturity and finding who he is as a character but this is really i think the most the most clearly that he's articulated his goal mm-hmm. right like he and it's interesting that earlier in the story he tried to do that, but he actually couldn't follow through. Like the, I'm thinking specifically about the time with the wish water, where he had this opportunity to um, to fix the problem, but he couldn't articulate what it was that he wanted. And here he really seems much more confident,
1: right? Even in his actions, he's moving quickly, he's making decisions. He he, we're hearing his thoughts be very sort of deliberate, um, and and thoughtful, and so. I think he he feels empowered by, by this project and this mission.
0: Awesome. All right, let's go. Now he was at the low point of his plunge, and as he began to rise towards the surface, he thought with all his heart, oh, I wish, how I wish there was something I could do. At that moment, seemingly by chance, his hand brushed against the thigh of his diving suit, and he felt a bulge in that nightshirt pocket beneath. That's strange, he thought. I'm sure I put but the Hoopo's brain box in the pocket on the other side. Then he remembered what was in that pocket, what had lain there completely forgotten ever since he first arrived on Kahani. And in a flash, he knew that there was something he could do after all.
1: What is it, Doyle? What's he going to do? What can he do, Doyle?
0: I I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Let's read. Let's read. Let's find out. I can't wait. He returned to the surface with a whoosh and lifted up his goggles to take several gulps of air while taking care not to let the poison waters of the ocean lap his face. As luck would have it, and it's high time I had some luck, Harun thought, he had surfaced right next to the gangway to which the disabled but the hoopoe had been tethered, while the search party which Katam Shud had sent out to recapture him was heading off across the clearing towards the weed jungle, using torches fitted with dark bulbs to help them see. Long beams of absolute pitch blackness raked the weed jungle. Good, thought Harun. I hope they search in that direction for a long time. He hauled himself out of the water onto the gangway, unzipped his diving suit, and took out But the Hoo's brain box. I'm no engineer, Hoopo, he murmured, but let's see if I can plug this back in. The Chipwalas had fortunately neglected to screw the lid of the Hoopo's head down again. Haroon climbed aboard Butt as stealthily as he could, lifted the lid, and looked inside. There were three loose leads inside the empty brain cavity. Haroon quickly found the three points on the brain box to which they had to be connected. But which went where? Oh, well, he told himself, here goes nothing. And he plugged the three leads in at random. But the hoopoe emitted an alarming sequence of giggles and quacks and other strange noises. Then it burst into a weird little song. You must sing a down, a down. And you call him a down I've connected it up wrong. And I've sent it insane, Haroon panicked. Aloud, he said, hoopoe, be quiet, please. Look, look, a mouse, peace, peace. This piece of toasted cheese will do it, ranted But the Hoopoe nonsensically. No problem. Hurriedly, Haroon disconnected the three leads and changed them round. This time, But the Hoopoe began to buck and bounce like a wild horse, and Haroon jerked the leads out to prevent himself from being bucked off into the ocean. Third time lucky, I hope, he thought, and with a deep breath reconnected the leads again. So what took you so long, said Butt in its familiar voice. All fixed up now. Let's go. Vavavoom. Hold your horses, Hoopo, Haroon whispered. You just sit there and pretend you're still brainless. I've got something else to do. And now at last he reached into his other nightshirt pocket and drew out a small bottle made of many-faceted crystal with a little golden cap. The bottle was still half full of the magical golden liquid which if the water genie had offered him what seemed like years earlier, wish water, "'The harder you wish, the better it works,' If had told him. "'Do serious business, and the Wishwater will do serious business for you.' "'This may take more than eleven minutes,' Harun whispered to But the Hoopoe. "'But I'm going to do it, all right. Hoopoe, you just watch me try.' And so saying, he unscrewed the golden lid and drank the Wishwater down to the last drop. All he could see was a golden light, which had wrapped itself around him like a shawl. "'I wish,' thought Harun Khalifa, squeezing his eyes tightly shut wishing with every fiber of his being, I wish this moon, Kahani, to turn, so that it's no longer half in light and half in darkness. I wish it to turn this very instant in such a way that the sun shines down on the dark ship, the full, hot, noonday sun. That's some wish, said But the hoopoe's voice admiringly. This'll be pretty interesting. It's your willpower against the processes too complicated to explain. The minutes passed. One, two, three, four, five. Haroon lay stretched out on the back of the Hoopoe, oblivious of time, oblivious of everything except his wish. In the weed jungle, the Chipwala searchers decided they were looking in the wrong place and turned back towards the dark ship. Their dark-bulb torches sent probing beams of darkness through the twilight. By chance, none of these beams fell upon but the hoopoe. More minutes passed. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven minutes passed. Haroon remained stretched out with his eyes shut tight, concentrating. A dark beam from the torch of a Chapwala searcher picked him out. The hisses of the search party foamed across the waters. On their dark seahorses, they galloped towards but the as fast as they could go. And then, with a mighty shuddering and a mighty juddering, Harun Khalifa's wish came true. The moon Kahani turned quickly, because as Harun had specified during his wishing, there was little time to be lost. And the sun rose at high speed and zoomed up into the sky until it was directly overhead where it remained. I think it's also really important to point out that he, uh, that Harun has been um, really, like, He's been battling this 11 minute problem that he's had for the entire book so for the, for him to sit here and to confront that uh, that problem is significant and he he sits down knows that 11 minutes are going to come and go and he is so just determined to work through it and and we see that he ultimately wins the day here and uh, and to me this this represents a, a climax of the book if not the major, climax of the book um one of one of them because he is confronting his conflict
1: and i would be remiss if i didn't mention that it's an excellent example of him using a growth mindset to work through something that's been hard for him
0: ding miss archibald i am so happy that you're here all right, let's see what Haroon does next. If Haroon had been in Gup City at that moment, he might have enjoyed witnessing the consternation of the eggheads in P2C2E House. The immense supercomputers and gigantic gyroscopes that had controlled the behavior of the moon in order to preserve the eternal daylight and the perpetual darkness and the twilight strip in between had simply gone crazy and finally blown themselves apart. Whatever is doing this, the eggheads reported to the walrus in consternation, possesses a force beyond our power to imagine, let alone control. But Haroon was not in Gup City, whose citizens had rushed open-mouthed into the streets as night fell over Gup for the first time that anybody could remember, and the stars of the Milky Way galaxy filled the sky. No, Haroon was on the back of But the Hoopoe, opening his eyes to find brilliant sunlight beating down on the waters of the ocean and on the dark ship. "'What do you know?' he said. I did it. I actually managed to get it done. Never doubted you for a moment," replied But the Hoopoe without moving its beak. Move the whole moon by willpower, Mister. I thought no problem. Extraordinary things had begun to happen around them. The Chippewa searchers, racing towards Haroon on their dark sea horses, began to shriek and hiss as the sunlight hit them. And then both Trapualas and horses grew fuzzy at the edges and began, as it seemed, to melt into the poisoned, lethally acid ocean they sank, turning into ordinary shadows and then sizzling away altogether. "'Look!' yelled Harun. "'Look what's happening to the ship!' The sunlight had undone the black magic of the cultmaster Katamshud. Shadows could not remain solid in that brightness, and the huge ship itself had started to melt, had started losing its shape— as if it were a mountain of ice cream left out in the sun by mistake. If, Mali, shouted Haroon, and in spite of Butt's warnings, he rushed up the gangway, which was becoming softer by the minute, towards the heaving deck.
1: I have to break in here, Mr. Doyle, because I am loving how light is overcoming the darkness here, both um, physically and and metaphorically, really. And it, it actually reminds me of one of my favorite quotes in the whole world, Um, a quote that I like to read, uh, many times, um, yeah, it just reminds me kind of about how you should live your life. And it is a quote by, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And it says, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. So, so I think that's a big lesson in this story, um, Harun and his dad are symbolizing love and light
0: and the Katamsha didn't stand a chance to that sort of power. I wonder if maybe the, just like even talking about love right now makes me think about Harun's mother. And I wonder if maybe we'll see Hmm. that come back into the story as well. I think Harun hopes so. I hope so too. This poor fella. All right, let's go. By the time he reached the deck, it was so sticky soft that Harun felt he was walking through fresh tar or, perhaps, glue. Chupwala's soldiers were screeching and rushing about madly, dissolving before Harun's eyes into pools of shadow, and then vanishing altogether, because once the sorcery of Katam Shud had been destroyed by the sunlight, no shadow could survive without someone or something to be attached to, to be the shadow of. The cultmaster, or to be precise, his shadow self, was nowhere to be seen. Poison was evaporating from the cauldrons on deck. The cauldrons themselves were growing flabby and melting like dark butter. Even the gigantic crane, to which the plug was attached by huge chains, was tilting and lolling in the shocking light of day. The water genie and the floating gardener had been suspended over two of the poison cauldrons by ropes which by ropes which had been looped around their middles and then fastened to the smaller cranes that stood by each of the poison tanks. Just as Harun spotted them, the ropes broke. They were woven out of shadows too, and If and Mali plunged out of sight into the evil cauldrons. Harun gave an anguished cry. But the poison in the cauldrons had been boiled dry by the sun, and the cauldrons themselves had grown so soft that, as Harun watched... If and Mali pulled away great sections with their bare hands, creating holes huge enough for them to step through. The cauldrons had been reduced to the consistency of melting cheese, and so had the deck itself. "'Let's get out of here,' Harun suggested. The others followed him down the melting, rubbery gangway. If and Harun leaped aboard but the hoopoe, and Mali stepped onto the water beside them. "'Mission accomplished!' cried Harun joyfully. HuPo, full speed ahead!' Varoom agreed but the hoopoe without moving its beak it began moving rapidly away from the dark ship towards the channel which Mali had cut in the weed jungle and then there was an unhealthy sounding noise and a slight smell of burning from the hoopoe's brain cavity and they came to a halt "He's blown a fuse," if pointed out, Haroon was mortified. "I guess I didn't make the right connections after all," he said. "And I thought I'd been so good. Now he's ruined. He'll never work again." The great thing about a mechanical brain, if consoled him, is that it can be fixed up, overhauled, even replaced. There's always a spare at the service station in Gup City. If we could get the Hoopo back there, it would be as right as rain, hunky-dory, first class. If we could get any of us back to anywhere, Haroon said. They were adrift in the old zone with no prospect of help. After everything they had been through, Haroon thought, it just didn't seem fair. I'll push for a while, Molly offered. And had just begun to do so when, with a strange, sad sucking sound, the dark ship of cultmaster Shud finally melted right away, and the plug, incomplete as it was, fell harmlessly onto the ocean bed, leaving the source of stories entirely unblocked up. Fresh stories would go on pouring out of it, and so, one day, the ocean would be clean again, and all the stories, even the oldest ones, would taste as good as new. Malik could push them no further. He fell across the hoopoe's back, exhausted. It was mid-afternoon now. The moon Kahani had settled down to a normal speed of rotation, and they drifted across the southern polar ocean, not knowing what to do next. Just then, there was a bubbling and a frothing in the water beside them. And Harun recognized, with immense relief, the many smiling mouths of the plenty Maw fishes. "'Goopy! Bega!' He greeted them happily. They replied, "'Have no worries! Have no fear!' We'll soon get you out of here. You've done enough. Throw down the reins. We'll soon have you safe again. So Baggy and Goopa, taking the reins of But the Hoopoe in their mouths, towed the companions out of the old zone. I wonder what became of Shud, Harun finally said. If gave a contented shrug. Done for. I can vouch for that, he said. No escape for the cult master. He melted away like the rest of them. It's curtains for him. He's history. Good night, Charlie. I.E., He's Katam Shud. This was only the shadow self, remember? Harun pointed out soberly. The other cult master, the real one, is probably battling it out right now with General Katab and the Pages and Mudra and my father, and Blabbermouth. Blabbermouth. He thought privately. I wonder if she missed me, just a little bit. Ooh wee. <laughs> Harun loves Blabbermouth. <laughs>
1: In <laughs> a <The> tree. <laughs> <that, get> <laughs> Root and mouth, sitting in a tree. K-I-S-S-I-N-G. What?
0: Oh, he really sweats this girl, huh? <laughs> yeah, he's got a bad for the blab. He is pining away, this fella.
1: Oh, really? Let's see mm-hmm. what happens with the princess bat sheet. Oh, look, it's the n- name of the next chapter. That's
0: right. Spoiler <laughs> alert. What had been the twilight strip was now bathed in the last light of the sun. From now on, Kahani will be a sensible moon, Harun thought, with sensible days and nights. In the distance to the northeast, he saw, lit up by the evening sun for the first time in many an age, the coastline of the land of Chup.
1: <laughs> Takeaway!
0: All right, so, Miss Archibald, at the end of each chapter, we like to give our HLC takeaways. So. What's your first takeaway from this chapter?
1: Well, I got to go to this whole light and dark conflict and how the shadows and the and the light have been kind of playing against each other throughout the book, but I'm feeling really psyched because one of my my first takeaway is that the light has won. At least for now, the light is winning over the darkness.
0: Yeah, and the imagery that came through in throughout the chapter, the dark ship sort of melting into a cheesy mess of darkness was really Sort of amazingly handled, so um, I I like that takeaway. For takeaway number two, um, we have Harun confronting the problem that's been holding him back throughout a lot of this book, which is his ability to focus for longer than eleven minutes at a time. Here he, you know, we've talked about how much he has grown as a character over the course of the book. This is one of those instances where he knows that he's going to struggle, but he he accepts the challenge anyway. And through that, I think that we're really seeing him become the hero that uh, it's been hinted all along that he he was meant to become.
1: Absolutely. And I guess for the third one, I'd have to say it's all this talk about stories, that there are things that can ruin stories, things that can celebrate stories and help stories grow, but that even in the dark, after the dark stories, and if things are ruined, um, the the sort of power of story will continue, and um, and and better stories and more stories will sort of clean up all of the the mess that bad stories leave behind.
0: Yeah, I love that imagery as well of the clean new stories coming out of the wellspring. That's that's a beautiful uh, that's beautiful imagery right there. So there you have it. We'll see you in chapter eleven.
1: Oof.